TCU takes on Iowa State on Saturday night in Ames. Melissa sits down with Levi Stevenson from Wide Right Natty Light to preview the upcoming game between the Frogs and the Cyclones. Plus, the NCAA is making moves. What do the advanced stats say about TCU-Iowa State? Is the Big 12 moving to a different conference schedule for hoops? Plus, the mailbag. All that right now on this episode of Frogs Insider. Cue the intro music. Let's go. Welcome in to Frogs Insider. Jimmy Plunkett here. Melissa Trebowasser will be along in a bit as she previews the TCU-Iowa State game with our good friend Levi over at Wide Right Natty Lights. We've got some other things to get into in this episode as well. As you all know by now, we're part of the Republic of Football Network. Shout out to Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Also, a big shout out to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel. You'll hear more about them later on in the show. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. We're very glad that you're here. If you've been around for a while, thank you for coming back. We say this every week, and we're thankful for it every week. The show is growing very quickly, and we're super excited. I think we've basically, we're up four times in our listenership since the start of football season, and we've been growing prior to that as well. We grew a lot over the summer. So to everybody that's new and that has has latched onto the show and started listening since the beginning of the season, we can't say thank you enough for hopping on board and being part of this thing here. Uh, For those that have been since day one, y'all are the goats. We know you. We love you. We're thankful for you as well. Um, If you haven't yet, whether you've been listening since the first episode or if you just hopped on and this is your first time, please make sure you leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the show as well so that you get it in your podcast feed. Uh, I've been noticing on on the stats when I go and dig them up every week about 30% of our listenership every episode is people who aren't subscribed to the show. Please subscribe to the show. It helps us out tremendously if you're actually signed up and subscribed to to the show. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that in advance. If you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, make sure you like the video. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like I said last week on the Midweek Show, we've got some things kind of ruminating if you will about what we want to do with the youtube channel um tell us with your subscriptions that that's something you'd be interested in like the videos go and subscribe to the youtube channel as well it's all completely free right all of this stuff is completely free um doesn't cost you a dime just costs you a click uh and it would help us out a tremendous amount so if you want more youtube content hit the subscribe button over there if you like the podcast leave us a rating make sure you're subscribed over there as well all right, now, we've done all of the podcast business for the intro of this show. Like I said, Melissa will be on in a little bit. But I want to jump into a couple of things before we get into the Iowa State preview. And the first thing is this, that there were a couple of significant things that happened with the NCAA this week. Um, they had a, a big committee meeting. They, they've been talking about doing a lot of different things when it comes to the transfer portal, when it comes to scholarships and uh, some other things as well related to visits, etc. Um, and so they came up with a few big decisions this week that 
I think are pretty significant. The first one is they're eliminating the initial counter on FBS scholarships, so or the annual limit on the initial counter. So essentially what that means is every school has 85 football scholarships that they can use every year. Um, that's the max that you're allowed to have in a single season is 85 scholarship players. The old rule was you're allowed to bring in as many as 25 scholarship players in a given season during recruitment, right? And so the old way was, all right, we've got our high school recruiting cycle. We can get as many as 25 guys. You might not need that many because you had a smaller senior class. You might need more. That's kind of a bummer. Um, but anyways, you had 25 spots maximum every year to bring to bring in new scholarship players. They're taking that cap off, essentially, because the transfer portal has put a ton of strain on this kind of old way of doing things. And part of the reason that I think they took the cap off was if you look at how many guys enter the portal every year versus how many guys actually go to another school, it's not a high percentage, like maybe 60% of players that enter the portal find a new school. And that's thousands of players that go into the portal with the hope of going somewhere else and have no other options, right? Uh, And part of that, I'm assuming, is because of this cap. Now, they're still only going to be able to top out at 85 total scholarship players. So it's not like Oh, Texas can just go out and get 150 scholarship players now or anything like that, but they're just pulling away the 25 cap. And I think that change needed to be made. I also am curious to see how this opens the door to some different kind of roster management strategies for some of the bigger blue blood programs in the country. I think we're going to see a lot of teams try to do essentially what Dion did at Colorado this year, which is turn over the entire roster or turn over significant portions of the entire roster. Because if you have a team that's underperforming, at least to their standards and expectations, like uh, maybe Clemson, for one, um, what's to stop you from asking 35 guys to transfer? And then you bring in an awesome high school class, and then you go get 20 more guys out of the portal, and here we go, right? Uh, we've turned over our roster in a year instead of it taking two or three years like it would have in the past. So it's going to be interesting to see how schools use all of these um, <clears throat> new new kind of unlimits, this unlimited kind of way of, of treating recruiting now to... Uh, sorry, I just got a random text. We're going to back up off of that. Put my phone away. We're focused. We're locked in here. It's going to be really interesting to see how schools treat this new rule where there is no cap in the number of scholarship players you can bring in in a year. I think we're going to see a bigger jump even than we have in the last few years of kids entering the portal. And the question is always going to be there now. Well, did they want to enter the portal? Or did someone tell them to enter the portal? That was always kind of already kind of a question we could ask. But now I think it's as as schools and and coaches try to, to hold on to their jobs, I'll be interested to see what the strategy is there. This also does one thing though. And if you're a Horn Frog Blitz subscriber, you know that this conversation is happens pretty much every year. Now this is going to eliminate the conversation 
that goes, well, we've got a smaller high school recruiting class, but that's probably because we're saving like 10, 12 spots for guys in the transfer portal. That's just not going to be a thing anymore because you don't have to worry about that 25-person cap. So I know I've seen that conversation happening on HFB this season about TCU's 2024 recruiting class and just know that that argument's not necessarily very valid anymore. If you're going to have a smaller high school class, yeah, you're probably going to load up on the portal, but uh, that kind of version of that conversation is just not, not really a thing anymore. The second thing that the NCAA did was that they minimized or they reduced the window during which players can actually enter the transfer portal. It used to be 60 days. Now it's 45 days. Um, I think this is a, a smaller issue or a smaller change than the annual scholarship intake limit. Um, for hoops, it's going to be one big 45-day window. Um, for football, there will be a 30-day window after the season ends. And for hoops, it will be – or sorry, uh, and then there will be another 15-day window in the spring. And I think I saw as well that there's a little five-day extra window in there for teams that like – make the college football playoff or have later bowls and stuff like that. So uh, they've got it set up now to where no kid is uh, no kid is going to be trapped at a spot, but they're also not just going to be able to hit the portal whenever they want and kind of you know screw over their team or their teammates. Um, this is also just the window in which players have to formally enter the portal. This isn't a, a, a limit on when a player can commit to a school when they have to take their visits or all that kind of stuff outside of their normal um, recruiting restrictions and dead periods and all that kind of stuff. The third thing that the NCAA did was <clears throat> they changed the fee that a school has to pay in order to move from FCS to FBS. It used to be $5,000. Not, a, not a, a large fee at all, just kind of like a, hey, we want to do this thing. We've got to pay this fee. It's 5,000 bucks, whatever. Well, they've, they, they bumped it up a little bit. It's $5 million now. <laughs> and uh, I think part of the reason for this is there's uh, maybe an oversaturation at the FBS level of teams at the kind of lower G5 level that are maybe better suited for FCS, but they want that FBS status because of the opportunities, because of the bowl money, because of some other stuff. And, and I get it, right? Like there's a, a big financial incentive to be FBS, FBS versus FCS. And we've seen some successful teams jump from FCS to FBS pretty recently, right? Uh, Jacksonville State's a really good example. James Madison is another fantastic example of that. And then you have, you know, Sam Houston State, who's jumped up this year, and I think they're 0-4 right now. And so it doesn't always work out. Um, very rarely, though, do you see a team go in the other direction. I think the most recent one was maybe Idaho that dropped down to FCS. Um, because there are huge financial implications between being an F FCS program and an FBS program. But the $5 million feels a little ridiculous to me it's basically closing the door altogether i don't know that there's a single fcs school that has five million bucks to just toss over to the ncaa to do something like this so it really it feels less like a oh we want to make it a steeper cost to get to the fbs and more like a we don't want any more teams to be fbs 
which is kind of lame, especially when you consider the the success stories that they've had uh, in in certain teams jumping jumping up a level recently. But uh, that's that. <clears throat> and then the last thing, the le- the least significant thing, unless you're a, an employee of a team that has to deal with this on a daily basis, uh, there are no more recruit photo shoots on unofficial visits. And I love seeing all these photos on Instagram and Twitter of kids that are on recruits and they've got all the gear and all the unique things that different universities do to like help kids make their photo shoots look awesome. Um, for instance, TCU baseball does a couple, I think with, uh, Kirk Sarlos's dog every now and then. Right. So they get to shoot photos with this golden retriever and stuff, which is kind of fun. Um, but, uh, no more photos on unofficial visits. You'll still be able to do them on official visits. And I could hear team employees across the country celebrating when this ruling came out, uh, because the photos look awesome. I can't imagine the kind of pain in the ass that they are to coordinate and pull off every time a kid is trying to get an unofficial visit on your campus. Like that is insane. A kid can just show up for an unofficial or like schedule an unofficial. Great. We've got one kid coming in. It's over a game weekend and now he's going to want to take photos. We've got all these other responsibilities and now we've got to set up a photo shoot for this kid who, you know, we might not even offer or we might not even take. Right. And so once you get him here on an official, all of those photos can still happen. No more photos on unofficial visits. If it's good for the team managers and, and all the folks in the background who have to deal with that kind of stuff, it's fine with me. Moving on to the next thing. John Rothstein reported earlier this week that the Big 12 is considering going from 18 conference games in basketball to 20 conference games in basketball. And so I texted around to a few people to, to get, get some insight on this and, and to hear what they said because I, I didn't think it was a big thing. And, and that was kind of the, the reaction that I got from several folks that I talked to. Uh, first and foremost, when you consider the fact that the Big 12 is expanding to 16 teams now, 18 conference games doesn't really make a ton of sense because you're only going to get to play two teams twice. Um, moving to 20 gives you a little bit more wiggle room there to play a couple teams a couple more times, uh, keep some of those regional rivalries like TCU Bay- Baylor going, uh, which is always nice to see. Um, there's already a model for this too. The big 10 is already at 20 conference games for hoops. Uh, I was told that the sec might be going in that direction too. If they have, it it isn't happening this year. They're still at an 18 game conference schedule this year, but, uh, that could be changing soon apparently. So there already are, are models out there of a conference being able to do this. Um, and when you think about it, you know, the Big 12 has had the Big 12 SEC Challenge, the Big East Big 12 Challenge, and so you've had pretty high-caliber teams coming in at, in the non-conference schedule too. Uh, so so schools are used to playing 20 to 25 really high-level opponents every year anyways. So from a com- competition standpoint, I don't think it changes a ton. Now, the Big 12 competition is maybe a little bit different than some other conferences, but... Um, I think it's good. It'll cut in, right? And, and TCU fans are the worst about complaining about this. Uh, it'll cut into TCU basketball's non-conference schedule. And if you look at TCU basketball's non-conference schedule this year, it's a bunch of home games against teams that 
frankly, TCU just should not lose to. Um, and so there will be two fewer of those every year, which means that the Big 12 conference schedule will probably start a little bit earlier in the year in order to get all of those games in. And uh, I think it'll just be a better situation for quality of schedule, for strength of schedule, for TCU and for every other team in the Big 12. Um, I think 20 games is also a better way to get a little bit more schedule parity since you won't be able to play every team twice. At least you'll play a couple more teams twice. Keep the schedule a little bit more balanced that way from, from team to team every single year. That'll be, that'll be pretty helpful. All right. <clears throat> Let's jump in. We're going to listen to Melissa and Levi in just a minute. Um, but I did a little bit of a write-up on Horn Frog Blitz on Monday, and it was pretty well received. It was about some of the uh, deeper uh, analytics around TCU football this year, and so I wanted to kind of do like a, a little bit of a TCU Iowa State stats preview using uh, the information from a good friend of mine, Parker Fleming, um, to just look at how he looks at the games. And so there are two kind of stats that I really want to call out in regards to the TCU and Iowa State matchup. And I'll retweet his graph, his advanced stat preview that he that he put out on this game earlier this week as well. Uh, the first one is Echel rate. I talked about it on the last episode. I've written about it on Hornfrog Blitz now. Echel rate is essentially a measurement of how frequently a team is putting together a quality drive on offense. And so... That means a quality drive is any drive that has at least one snap in the opponent's within the opponent's 30. So between the opponent's 30 and their goal line. Think of it as like an extended red zone. You're extending the red zone out 10 more yards. The next thing is points per echo. How frequently on those quality drives are you scoring or what how many points are you averaging on your quality drives? So you've got your quality drive stat and then the ability to convert a quality drive into points on the board. TCU is currently 18th in the country in echo rate. They are putting together a quality drive 55.7% of the time. That's down from eight in the country, down from a little bit over 63% because they had two echo rate drives on Saturday against West Virginia, and they came away with no points. Out of their, out of their, I think it was nine total, ten total drives, they only had two that were considered quality drives. They had three touchdowns. All of those came from outside the 30. So this is, this is a measurement that helps us understand consistently putting together good drives versus explosive plays. TCU relied a lot more on explosive plays on Saturday night against West Virginia than they did on consistently stringing good drives together. TCU is now 82nd in the country in points per echo at 3.5. So they're 18th. They're a top 20 team in the country in stringing good drives together. They're outside the top 80 in the country in scoring on those drives. So it's just like what our eyeballs have been telling us all the time. TCU really struggles the closer they get to the goal line. Alternatively, Iowa State is very good at preventing quality drives. They're 33rd in the country in defensive echo rate. They're only allowing an opponent to put together a quality drive 32% of the time. And they're holding teams to less than three points a drive on those quality drives. So this is going to be a really important test for TCU's offense on Saturday. Can they get sustained drives 
and what are they going to do to try and improve on their scoring on those drives? Explosive plays happen, right? Turnovers and, and special teams plays happen. What this is measuring is simply how good are you at sustaining drives and getting points versus how good are you at stopping other teams from putting together sustained drives and scoring points. So that's the TCU offense versus Iowa State's defense right there. Reversing that, and it's almost like TCU's defense and offense have been practicing together all offseason because you have a, a TCU defense that is 76th in the country in Echel rate. They're allowing opponents to put together quality drives 40% of the time, but they're 22nd in points per Echel allowed um, at 2.52. So they're allowing only 2.5 points per quality drive two opponents. Meanwhile, Iowa State is 121st in the country in echo rate. 30% of the time, they are putting together a quality drive. They're 106th in points per echo at 3.1 points per echo drive. And so there's a real opportunity here, I think, for TCU's defense to look really good and for TCU's offense to, to struggle. I think this is this is kind of where we're going to see this game play out. Um, Iowa State's always had a good defense. We've known this. Um, their offense is not in great shape right now because Brock Purdy's not walking back through that door. Brees Hall's not wa- walking back through that door. We can talk about the fact that when those two guys were seniors, they only won eight games, but that's for another day. I'm not here to piss off Iowa State fans today. <clears throat> I'll save that for the internet later this week. But uh, this, is, this has all the makings, just based on those two stats alone, of being a low-scoring rock fight kind of game. Now you factor in the fact that it's at 7 o'clock at night in Ames, that it's the annual Jack Trice Memorial game where the, the Cyclones are going to come out in their honorary jerseys. They're going to be paying homage to Jack Trice. Uh, and, and they're going to be fired up. It's one of the hardest places to play on the road anyways. And I, I, I really, I have, I have some questions about, uh, about this game uh, from a TCU standpoint. Um, I talked a little bit too on the site this week about early down rate, early down EPA, uh, the ability to have success on first and second down. Um, TCU's 51st in the country in early down EPA. Um, Iowa's defense is 50th in the country. So a good defense on first and second down or an above average defense on first and second down versus an average offense on first and second down. There might be some leeway there for TCU to really kind of step up and start to eliminate some of their third and fourth down issues that they've been having. Because the best way, and I'll say it as many times as you'll let me, the best way to convert on third down is to avoid third down altogether. And so if TCU can do that on Saturday, I think they're going to have a good chance of coming away with a victory against a a really good Iowa State defense. I think TCU's defense has some success on Saturday. It's going to be up to the offense, I think, to put some things together. All right. With that, I want to tell you a little bit about Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is one of the coolest TCU merch places that I've ever encountered. Go to their website, hellshalfacresg.com. And check out all the stuff they've got. They've got polos. They've got hoodies. They've got t-shirts. They've got hats. They've got koozies. They've got stuff for you. they got all the stuff for your tailgate. All the stuff for you to wear. 
all you've got to do is go to hellshalfacresg.com and you are set for any game day more than you could be at any other place. There is no more comprehensive store out there for TCU fans and getting you ready for a game day than Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Very happy that they are partners with us here on the show. Very, very excited uh, about what they've got coming up as well. You've seen some of their awesome releases. The baseball and football polos were absolutely great. Baseball started fall practice this week. Might be time to go scoop up one of those polos and get ready for the spring season. But hey, let me tell you, they've got some hats that are almost always on back order because they're so popular and I'm I'm gonna have to like sit there and just refresh the website I think until I can snag one of these awesome hats but they've got everything you need so go check them out at Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods um, Hell's Half Acre SG.com all right let's jump in to Melissa's preview of Iowa State she sits down with Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light let's go into that right now Hello, everybody. Welcome to another midweek edition of the Frogs Insider podcast. Proud to be a part of the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Network. Um, I don't know if proud is the word I'm going to go for. Terrified, excited, um, concerned. Uh, all of the feelings that I have that are in the middle of the emotional scale uh, to be joined by my good friend, my favorite Iowa State fan. Sorry, Cyclone Larry. Um, and one of the just best people that I know. Levi Stevenson um, of Wide Right Natty Light, the absolute one of the absolute best non-TCU uh, sports blogs in all of the planet, um, and honestly, probably better than most of the TCU ones too. Who are we kidding? So, Levi, listen, I, I'm not sure I, I'm supposed to respond to that. Intro. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but also like not wrong whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's Le- Levi and I have quite a great history together. Uh, we oh, yeah. have enjoyed many a tailgate together on opposite sides, um, and. Uh, you know, mourning our football teams and celebrating our football teams and talking about, you know, what a dick Parker is. So um, all, <laughs> all of the things. I'll know uh, for real if Parker actually listens to this podcast now, but, uh, but today. Yeah, there you go. So we just, sometimes you just got to throw a shot in there. I got sometimes I just got to throw a shot in there at Count Graffula. Count crap. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> there are all so many good. We could honestly just turn this and do it. Let's let's just crap on Parker podcast. Uh, but <laughs> but I do I do love my dear friend Parker Fleming as well. Um, but that's what I hear to talk about Parker. Um, and God forbid we talk too much about advanced stats because these two teams that doesn't get good for either of them. Um, no. What we are here to talk about is TCU traveling to Ames this weekend to take on Iowa State a place the Horned Frogs have not won since 2015. And if you want to throw just a little more fuel into the fire, we're going to talk about why this game is especially important for Cyclone players and fans. Um, for that. And I think I think you're wearing a shirt that might represent a little bit of that as well, Levi, it looks like. So we'll get into all that. Um, but the first thing I want to, you, you texted me earlier this week um, as I was inviting you on the podcast. And I think your, your, the direct quote was, what is TCU? And <laughs> I answered that about how I expect you to answer, but I'm going to turn the favor around since we are previewing the Cyclones. What exactly is Iowa State in 2023? And how much does Matt Campbell regret not leaving for the NFL a couple of years ago? <laughs> uh, the first answer that the first the answer to the first question is I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, The second answer to that question is, is that Matt Campbell is a college football coach through and through. I don't think like, I think he would hate the NFL. I, I, I thought that I thought that in 2018, when we were trying to bargain with, Oh, he's never leaving. He hates the NFL. And I still, I still believe that now when, you know, probably nobody's calling him for the NFL at this point in time or whatever. Like I still believe, I think he would hate the NFL. It's just not his thing. He'd rather be a, I, I genuinely in my heart of hearts believe he'd rather be a high school football coach than an NFL football coach every day of the week. 
yeah. if he wasn't in college, Fair. he'd rather be in high school. No, no question about it. Uh, um, but, but, but to, but to circle back on the, listen, the, the off season issues among the Cyclones are well-documented. We don't need to get into all of the players that are not a part of the team ugh. due to, um, gambling and other brought, issues. It's funny you brought that up though, is because there was some development yeah. in that today where the NCAA just, well, we might have we might have been a little heavy handed with our punishments. Oh well, thanks thanks for changing that after you know Jake Remsburg and Deshaun Hanica. You know Jake Remsburg has lo- already lost five games of the season out of a six game suspension, and now you're going to change it. Yeah, and, you and Oklahoma State have a lot to complain about about the NCAA together. And Deshaun Hanica, yeah. See, but the problem is Oklahoma State's thing was was a former Iowa player, so fuck him. <laughs> but like you know, um, you know. And then Deshaun Hanica was ruled out for the season. Well, all of a sudden now they're going to change it and they're going to retroactively change the suspension. It's like, you, how are you going to give Deshaun Hanica seven, you know, six, seven, eight games back? Like, how, what's your what's your game plan for that? Besides an extra year of eligibility, which I, both of them should absolutely get an extra year of eligibility at this point. But, but we know that probably won't happen. No, so. I, no, it just the NCAA's incompetence is mind bending, and just they just find new ways to surprise all of us. But that's a whole other separate podcast. It is a whole, that we it's a whole other pocket. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. this whole this whole gambling investigation is gonna make a fantastic documentary someday. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I, I I put it in our Slack today. I was like, dude, I wish we had the resources. I would I would interview people from the DCI, from the NCAA, from everything. Cause you know, they had the DC oh, we don't need to keep going into it. But like yeah. that like that I'd keep doing free I'd I would I would FOIA the shit out of every DCI email sent in the last eight months like crazy. Like I'd the, the whole situation is completely batshit crazy and and we're still we're not at the end of it we're not going to be at the end of it for a while but i will be fascinated to read a book about this whole thing at some point in time because this It'll is like pretty epic this is what this like if, if you're not directly involved in it, like iowa state fans have been you're like you're looking at it from the outside probably and thinking like oh this is kind of interesting like it doesn't hasn't affected me because like I, I don't know if does texas have sports legal sports gambling uh i i I don't think it's passed yet i think it's not it's it's on the table but so so like somebody from texas would be like oh that's kind of weird it doesn't doesn't really apply because we can't gamble in in texas or something like that but i can assure you that what's happening right now with this whole thing and how the ncaa is handling this and how the i would department uh, department of criminal investigation is handling this is absolutely a like monumental like landmark in the in that's going to go in the the annal like the history of the timeline of college football and how this whole thing shakes out over the next hundred years or whatever this is a this is a a, a signpost in that in that story um it's funny it's just, that you think college football will be around in a hundred years but that's dude, a, I, a whole I'm, other... I'm on the record saying by 2050 this shit's gone <laughs> yeah i i don't disagree um uh, let's but let's talk about what is actually here and i guess for those of you guys uh, if you haven't yeah. figured out uh keeping levi under the explicit uh uh number per episode is, is always a struggle but we're just gonna let him cook so um i'm not gonna <laughs> worry about it i apologize to my friends at dave campbell's texas uh football uh sorry mike and ish uh but you know get the sensor ready um Let's talk I'll write, about. I'll write a letter for their apology. Yeah, perfect. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, what's going on on the field. So obviously, um, Iowa State has, has had some some great players, um, both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. They've brought in some. They've recruited at a relatively high level, especially compared to previous years. Um, and now they're in uh, ostensibly a rebuild, right? Like year two of kind of a rebuild after losing some generational talent guys that are playing in the NFL. Um, one of whom, uh, Brock Purdy, who has become one of the elite quarterbacks in and as a 49ers fan, couldn't be happier. But 
Um, having Brock Purdy as your quarterback is the absolute best. It, it, having this version of Brock Purdy as your quarterback is to absolutely. Be honest, we had the we had like the the chaotic college version. Yes. It was still fun. Yeah, like, it was still fun. It was fun. You always it was going to be fun, but now it's in a Shanahan system. Like no quarterback has ever been more tailor made to be successful no. in that system. Like right now, Brock, he, but... if you're doing if you're doing an NFL QB power rankings right now, Brock's probably in your top five. Oh, for sure. He's he's like, so efficient, so delightful. And, good. Yeah. So again, neither here nor there. Um, but let's talk about what's going on on the offense. I know that you have lots to say about the offensive line, but before we get to that position, um, they've they've played a couple of quarterbacks. JJ Cole is one of those super highly touted young guys who's gotten just a handful of snaps. I think he's he's eight for nine though in, in completions, but for only seventeen yards. Um, Rocco Beth has kind of been the guy this year. Um, after the failed experiment of a of a year ago um i can't even remember his name hunter but deckers, yeah. i really miss hunter deckers um but uh as do <laughs> all opposing was, fan bases um, one of us <laughs> yeah uh but but what do you see rocco's another he's a young kid he's a highly touted kid he's got nfl bloodlines and lineage great genetics what have you seen from him so far what is kind of your expectation for him on saturday against the tc defense that, that has shown some weaknesses but but has been relatively good in the passing game since week one of the season and is he kind of a long-term answer for iowa state going forward uh it's kind of funny because before the season we were all in like rocco will start the first few games and then jj will jump in and then that's just gonna now it's jj's program type of thing because jj is a he's a high four-star guy you yeah. know on the bottom end of the five-star he's just you know got a lot of raw talent there but what we found out now is that one, JJ in the limited snaps that JJ's gotten, he's he's raw. He's he's a freshman. He's not he's not ready. Um, what we also found out is that Rocco is way better than we thought he was. Mm. Um, he has been very very efficient. He's a good decision maker. He's um, he is kind of. I hate to dump this on them because it's like it's 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 an unfair comparison, but he is playing his play style is very very reminiscent of Brock Purdy very mm. very reminiscent of Brock Purdy not as much of a runner not like not as much of a creative runner like Brock was like he's not gonna you're not gonna see him like roll out and then pump fake somebody and then get just magically show up 10 yards downfield type of thing but he as far as a passer goes he's 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 elusive within the pocket he does a really good job of climbing through the pocket um, as he goes through his progressions, he, he does a fantastic job of avoiding pressure. I think he, I would say it's only given up like two sacks on the season and they were just in the last like two weeks. Um, and he's been, he's been much better than people thought they was. He, he's thrown four picks, I think on the year. The first two were absolutely not his fault. Um, not even, not even a little bit receivers slipped on both of them. Um, last week he threw, he threw a bad pick to start the game and then came back and hit Jalen Noel on like a 60 yard bomb or whatever it was. Um, and then later in the game, he got towards the end of the half. He tried kind of forcing it as they were trying to push it downfield. Lately. He tried forcing it a little bit, which is a freshman mistake. He is just a redshirt freshman. So you're going to expect him to make some freshman mistakes at times, but he's played largely beyond his years. He's very efficient. Um, one thing that I've really enjoyed about him that I wish that we could have gotten more of out of Brock Purdy is that he, he keeps an eye on a, on downfield receivers. He's a more willing thrower down the football field mm -hmm. than, than Brock typically was. Um, and definitely more than Hunter Decker's was, which is mind blowing to me because Hunter Decker's for all of his many, many faults, it was, it has a huge, huge arm. Um, so I was surprised that we didn't get him throwing the ball down the field more, but Rocco is doing a good job. He's not forcing it generally speaking and his deep balls have been pretty decent. Um, but he keeps an eye downfield and that's why like I would say it has hit three has had three 60, 350 plus yard touchdown catches in the last two games. 
um, for some, some, you know, suddenly the Iowa State passing game is kind of an explosive passing game. Um, and they're actually kind of leaning on it, which is what we've been asking for for years now. Well, um, it, it, you talk about them leaning on it, and it's because the thing that we've been seeing Iowa State be super successful at over the last few years, the running game has been can I say atrocious? Like, horrendous. I, yeah, it's been really, really bad. And when you've had yes. some of the guys that you've had in the backfield, they're lining up, you know, a couple of guys that are in the Turns NFL out now. not having Dave Montgomery and Brees Hall is not yeah. as good as having either of them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, you've got, nobody is averaging more than 37 yards a game on, on this Iowa, yeah, in no. this Iowa State backfield. And part, and, part of that is a, is a product of the fact that they're playing like three or four guys most games. Yeah. So they're, they're, and they're splitting it up fairly evenly. But still less than a hundred yards per contest as a whole. Oh yeah, it's still a terrible is, running yeah. game, but the whole like individual, yeah. individually low averages is, is a lot, is a lot due to the, the share of carries getting, you know, in touches being dispersed. Um, but yeah, it's a terrible, terrible running game. But what they've, what they, and the reason Iowa State lost to Ohio is because they can't run the ball. But for whatever reason, they were still stuck in this old Tom Manning mode where they had to establish the run. Mm. Blah, 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 kill me. But, you know, but they decided before the Oklahoma State, we actually heard it in press conferences, like we've realized that this team can throw the football or whatever, and we're really struggling with running the football. So we're going to adjust what we're doing and we're going to change our focus on offense. So now they're throwing on first down and they're doing throwing halfback screens, which we hadn't seen since, you know, we hadn't seen screens in a while. And um, even when Brees Hall was here, they didn't really throw that many screens. David, they threw him to David, but not as many to Brees. Um, but, you know, those finally made a return. They're doing a really good job of scheming open tight ends and receivers, especially receivers downfield. They're doing a much better job of that. And they're using the pass game to open up the running game. Again, still a bad running game. But we saw it against Oklahoma that, especially towards the end of the game, when Oklahoma was having to spread their defense out more and they couldn't stack the box every time, suddenly there's a few more running lanes. Um, and now the individual offensive linemen are still pretty much terrible across the board. If if you don't have to defend against nine defenders all the time, you know, or you don't have to block nine defenders all the time, then it's a lot easier to run the football, even if even with a bad offensive line. So they're, I think they finally started realizing that, and that's why Iowa State has been a much more pass-heavy team the last couple of weeks and why they've really tried to take advantage of the explosive passing game, um, especially hitting like backside posts and stuff like that, which Jalen Nolan and Jaden Higgins have both taken to the house over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is what you do as a counter to when, when safety start coming up and when they start compressing that middle of the field to stop a running game or to stop an underneath passing game or whatever it is, they're doing a good job. It's, it, it does seem like Nate Shielhaus is, is getting comfortable, getting more comfortable calling an offense and, and, uh, and doing so in a way that, you know, that he wants to call it um, rather what? than just trying to maintain the status quo. What do you think, like, so where's the disconnect getting? So it seems like that they're starting to kind of get in the flow, um, that they're they're starting to move the ball. The passing game's been pretty effective. Still struggling, really, to put points on the board. I mean, Oklahoma State, 34 points. Oklahoma State is so, so bad. And oh, yeah. and then you and I um, is the only other time that they've topped 30. Now, obviously, Oklahoma's defense is really good. There's some bad positioning there. Teams drops 50 on you. Some things had to go wrong on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, you already talked a little bit about the the Ohio game and then, um, you know, Iowa's defense is solid. But is this, you know, we look at TCU and say TCU is really great between the 20s, but struggles in the red zone. Is it same, the same kind of thing as the field gets smaller? Are they struggling to punch it in or is there is there something else going on that's kind of preventing them from putting up bigger numbers, um, you know, in, in some of these losses? I don't think there's a disparity between how they move the ball between the twenties and at the red zone. It's pretty much terrible all over the place, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, it's really more of 
there's it's been better the last couple games too. I mean, like I said, like you said, Oklahoma's defense is very good. Um, yeah, but it's been better where they the situational play calling is better. But there's still times where, I mean, when when the way in the current state of the running game, you kind of almost have to assume that you're not going to get anything, um, which is a very unfortunate sentence I have to say. Yeah, but you pretty much have to assume that you're going to get zero yards and then whatever you get beyond that is fine. So, but what they've, there's been a few different times where drives have stopped because for whatever reason they get to third and, or they get to like second and eight or second and six. And then they, then they run the ball. Well, okay. Well now it's third and seven. Congratulations. Now you're behind the sticks and you've got to throw and you've got to throw against the defense that knows you're throwing. Um, so there's some situational play calling is not great. Again, not having a running game sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. like it makes it, it just makes everything harder. And, you know, for, fortunately they're trying to work around that where they can create a running game through the passing game. Um, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Sometimes there's some mental errors and stuff like that. Obviously it's, the receivers have had a little bit of a drops problem um, this year as well. Um, what we're seeing, I mean, just, it's just the mental mistakes and things like that. You guys being a little out of position, whatever it is, it's a lot of the hallmarks of a really, really young football team. Mm-hmm. Iowa State, like for, Iowa State, was a very old football team in 2020 and 2021, which is why you know in 2020 they won the Fiesta Bowl and all that. There were lots and lots of experience and lots of snaps on the field on both sides of the ball uh, for uh, for a number of years there. And then all of a sudden, Iowa State got really young, really, really yeah. fast. And that's not such a big deal if you have lots of four and five star talent on the depth chart, but. I would say it's a developmental program. So getting really young, really fast hurts. And that's part of that's a, 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 a lingering effect from the COVID year where a bunch of guys stuck around that they weren't expecting to stick around. So that, that stunts growth a little bit in the, in the depth chart. They can't get, they can't get young guys snaps early on. Like they usually like to whatever it is. Um, so I would say it's just a really, really young football team right now. I mean, your quarterback's a true fresh or is a redshirt freshman. Two of your running backs are true freshmen. Your tight end's a true freshman. Your middle linebacker's a true freshman. Um, they're, they're playing a lot of youth um, on both sides of the ball. Um, and it's just right now they look like a really young football team. Well, and you, you say that, you know, you look at some of the statistics, they're converting just 30% of their third downs. Um, really good on fourth down, but have only attempted seven fourth down conversions. And that does speak to having a lot of third and long situations. My favorite stat, though, is that um, – your punter, Tyler Perkins, has attempted 30 punts already. Um, Jordy Sandy has less than half of that for TCU at 14. And that just, yeah, that speaks to the slog. Um, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball uh, and talk about defense. You know, another, you know, the hallmark of Iowa State has been they're going to run you to death and they're going to make things really, really difficult on your offense. TCU, as I said, has moved the ball really well between the 20s and has done a pretty good job of those explosive plays. But we saw what West Virginia was able to do Saturday night and really stifling the Horn Frogs, holding them to just one yard in the third quarter, which was obscene um, and putting them in a lot of bad situations um, in that second half as they kind of were able to come out with a win in Fort Worth, surprising a lot of folks. Uh, Iowa State's defense is probably not the the stalwart that it's been the last couple of years, but still can make things difficult. Oklahoma game aside and Oklahoma State game aside, maybe it's just things in Oklahoma. Uh, this is a team that has given up uh, you know, 10 points, 20 points, and nine points um, outside of, of its two Big 12 opponents. Uh, what do you expect them to be able to do against TCU's offense Saturday in Ames? Yeah, the two Oklahoma-based the two Oklahoma based opponents are, one, Oklahoma is just really good. I mm-hmm. think we're, we were, I think we were all underselling how good the I, Oklahoma was at the beginning of the year. Um, 
Um, and Oklahoma, for whatever reason, I don't know, Mike Gundy has always been able to move the ball against Iowa State for whatever reason. He's just always been able to figure it out. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's it's not the, like, top 10, borderline top five defense in college football like we've seen in the last couple yeah. of years. Um, but, you know, it's still, a, it's still a very solid defense that has a really, really good secondary for once. For, for, for one, once, Jack Haycock's defense is actually led by the secondary. Uh, which is kind of an unusual thing. Usually it's led by the linebacking core, especially. Um, but the linebackers are young. You know, the one linebacker that isn't young is Gary Vaughn. He's a six-year senior, and he can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So currently your middle linebacker is Jack Sadowski. He's a true freshman. And then your outside linebacker is Will McLaughlin, who's a true sophomore. Um, and then your defensive line turns out losing Will McDonald. Not great. Yeah, um, that'll do it. Pretty good. He's pretty good. Um and, you know, so they've, at times, the defensive line has struggled to get some pressure. Um, you know, the, they struggled last week, obviously, against Oklahoma. Oklahoma took lots and lots of deep shots. Um, partially, um, I mean, really, honestly, mostly due to the fact that they were just try, struggling to get pressure on Dylan Gabriel. And when you give Dylan Gabriel in the Oklahoma offense six seconds of throw every time, you're yeah. going to have a bad time, no matter how good your secondary is. Um, part of it, too, though, um, Malik Ferdon has been out the last couple of weeks and he's a one of he's a very, very good safety that he they pair, along, pair up with Bo Freeler and Jeremiah Cooper back there. Uh especially a very, very good run defender. He's been out the last couple of weeks and that has made uh Ben Nickel, who is a former walk on turned scholarship player, has been playing there and he's okay. Um he's he's been hit very, very hit or miss and he's been, he's made some plays been out of position a few different times, which has led to some big, some big explosive runs just by being out of position and things like that, which are typically, which are very atypical of a John Haycock defense. Um, having Malik Verdon back this week, which we heard he will be back this week, is a big boon, uh, especially for slowing down a running game, especially since Iowa State's defense is predicated on the safeties coming down and, and stopping the run game at the line of scrimmage, basically when the line spills it to the outside. So having a very, you know, one of your best run stopping safeties back, huge boost there. Um, helps take care of that running game quite a bit better. And then, um, you know, no offense to TCU, but they probably don't have quite as many downfield threats as Oklahoma does. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I would say it's defense is typically predicated on stopping the big play and, and slowing down the red and really just making it, you got to be fine with going four yards at a time down the field type of thing. And um, I, I expect them to be better this week. I think I think we'll see a better, a, a more significant attempt, I guess, to get pressure on the quarterback a little bit this week. Maybe bring in some more exotic blitzes, blitzes with the linebackers, things like that, to really try to get a lot of pressure over there and hopefully get the ball out of his hands fairly quickly. And then when you can do that, and you have those safeties that can come up and and tackle near the line of scrimmage, and that are very very solid tacklers, especially Will Freeler and Jeremiah Cooper are both excellent open field tacklers. Um, so being able to lean on that secondary is very good. And then obviously you have TJ Tampa back there on one side, Miles Purchase on the other side. TJ Tampa is a outstanding yeah. corner. If you if you don't know his name already, you will you will by Saturday you'll, night. Yeah, you'll you'll figure it out. Oklahoma, it was fun. The funny part is that the Oklahoma State at the end of the Oklahoma State game, as 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 smart as Gundy is on offense, he decided to throw at TJ Tampa three times in a row on the on their last drive and didn't work out. TJ Tampa picked it off and won the game. Um but it's just one of those things, like I said, even the defense is really young. So we'll see. Hopefully they can kind of shore things up a little bit last week. Like I said, having Malik Verdon back is going to help a lot. But um, in the end, it's gonna think it, I still think it's probably going to be kind of a slugfest on Saturday yeah. because you are not allowed to have fun playing football against Iowa nope. State. So You are not. 
Nope. It'll be it'll be interesting because TCU definitely has a wealth of downfield threats. They have not been able to establish them partially because of how bad yeah, yeah, that's yeah really the offensive line has been. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and guys haven't been healthy. There's been a lot of injuries in the wide receiver room too, but it, can they exploit those downfield threats? I, don't, I mean, TCU scored, you know, on a 59 yarder to JP Richardson on one of the like second play of the game and then hit hit uh 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 Jalen Jalen Robinson, I think. I can't remember which one um, for another big play, but that's kind of the only way TC can score is on the big play. And if Iowa State's able to do that and shut down Imani Bailey, it's going to make for a really long night, especially if that offensive line struggles as much as they did against West Virginia. Uh, but West Virginia has a great defensive front, but there we're down to mostly second stringers by that fourth quarter. And Chandler Moore still uh, was, he's totally spooked. Um, and, and for good reason, because he was getting hit, it felt like every time he dropped back. Um I want to talk about Jack Trice. Um, I, I told you we were going to try to keep this to 40 minutes. I still don't know <laughs> if I believe that it's possible, uh, but I haven't really eaten today. And so I'm I'm really trying to keep this to a 40 minute podcast. <laughs> so I'm we'll very hungry. Best. Yeah. Um, but, but Saturday um, and the reason I am mostly terrified of this game has absolutely nothing to do with what's happening on the field. But I started reading quotes from the Iowa state players about what it means to play on a day in a game dedicated to Jack Trice. Um, this also gives us a, a chance to shout out uh, one of our podcast sponsors, Homefield Apparel, who makes killer bomber jackets, uh, amazing t-shirts, uh, fleeces, joggers, everything, and made just a, a Jack Trice bomber jacket that's absolutely exceptional um, for Iowa State this offseason. Uh, Frogs in 15 will get you 15% off of your purchases, not on the bomber jackets, but on everything else. Um Tell us, for those who don't know, can you, and it's going to be a challenge, Levi, can you give yeah, us like the elevator pitch of who Jack Trice is and why it's so important that yeah. A, Iowa State is, the, is has named their stadium after him and B, that, that yeah. he is being honored this weekend? So uh, the Cliff Notes version here. So, so Jack Trice was the first ever black athlete at Iowa State. He's the first black football player. Um, and when he, uh, and he was a very good one to his defensive lineman, which is funny. Cause he was like 185 pounds on the yeah. roster back when defensive linemen were, you know, 50 pounds. I had 50 pounds on the average defensive lineman. Um, and, and he, or sorry, he was, and he was played the offensive line too. Um, but he was, uh, they played a game up at Minnesota and during the game, he suffered injuries during the game. Nobody, like he kind of, he got trampled. Um, it, there's not a lot of details on it just because it's the twenties and there's, you know, the not great records on a lot of that stuff, but he was, he was trampled during the game and sustained some injuries. Um, and then, you know, eventually he ended up passing away from his injuries. Um, and you know, it, for, there was a long, there was a period there, um, for a long time that, um, his story kind of was forgotten a little bit. Um, not because people didn't care, but it was just because, you know, through the decades, stories get passed down. Some stories get passed down more effectively than others, whatever it is. Um, and then eventually the, it kind of came back up. Um, it came back up, you know, a few decades later. And eventually after, after some, uh, a, a great, great effort from the students themselves, finally got um, what was previously Cyclone Stadium renamed to Jack Trice Stadium. Um, and now it is the only um, it is the only stadium in college football named after uh, named after a black person, um, and it's a very it's a very it's a thing that Iowa State wears with pride, um, and it, especially because he is so significant to the history of Iowa State. And I I, I would encourage you to go up and go. There's tons and tons of yeah. stuff online about about Jack um, about we have a, we have an entire Jack Trice resource database on mm. on our website on our front page that's right there. You can click it and it's got every article you could ever possibly want. 
as far as learning about Jack. Uh, Spencer uh, Spencer Hall wrote a phenomenal piece it's a while ago now, like maybe five years ago or something like that, called Buffalo. That's about Jack yeah. Trice and an outstanding, outstanding article that he wrote there. Um, there's lots, and I'm, I'm leaving out a lot. There's a lot of details. There's, yeah, there's a lot. Out. Absolutely. It's worth reading about Jack Trice. Oh, 100%. And it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's a, it's a, tra- it's a tragic story. Uh, yeah. But now they're now they're here so this weekend is is the Jack is the Jack Trice memorial game basically they're 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 memorializing Jack Trice and really honoring his legacy um so i would say is wearing throwback uniforms this weekend which and are they're beautiful. unbelievable they're god the helmets beautiful. the Ames helmet is the most perfect helmet in college football oh, it's beautiful like i i could not be happy with how that went cuz like we tried Jack Trice throwbacks in 2014 and they weren't they weren't great um, and there's lots of teams that have tried to pull off the the throwback brown pants that everybody used to yeah. wear, and they nailed it. I mean, they yeah. they did. They don't look it's bad beautiful. at all. They, it's a gorgeous uniform, and you guys will see it on Saturday too. It's a beautiful, beautiful uniform that I think is exactly what they wanted to accomplish with that. And it's going to be it's a night game, which I was I was hoping it was going to be a night game. I was this, hoping it wasn't, but <laughs> um, just because you know. Partially because, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. We, we, the, the cool uniforms, you know, it's a big thing. And also Jack Trice at night is kind of wacky. So yeah. it's kind of one of those things like the the environment is going to be really, there's going to be a lot of energy um, in Jack Trice. Stadium. I'm really excited for it. It's a, it's going to be a special day. Um, there, there, there'll be lots of stuff, especially I'm extreme, during the broadcast. I'm, yeah, I'm sure they will have lots of stuff about Jack um, during the broadcast and then you'll see the uniforms and the, the, I'm expecting the stadium to have a lot of energy on Saturday, even for an Iowa state team. That's not, you know, hasn't been all that great this season. This is just one of those games. I think it just, it just means more. It goes, it goes, the meaning of the game goes a lot, goes far beyond whatever the final score is on Saturday. And I, it's just, it's just a, it's just going to be a big weekend no matter what. I read some of the quotes about some of these players talking about what it means to wear Jack Trice on their chest this weekend and why it was so important to them. And let me say it did not inspire excitement or uh, confidence in me as a TCU supporter. Um, I think the environment is going to be incredible. Um, I think this is, like you said, I, I think TCU is the better football team, but you can't you you cannot not account for what these emotional moments to be like. So it should be really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, really great environment, really cool, amazing, tragic story. Um, but something I hope TCU fans will take some time to learn a little bit about Jack Trice before kickoff on it's, Saturday it's night. Worth take, it's worth taking some time just to learn about because it it's a it's a it's a remarkable and tragic story that it's just every everybody in college football should know about know who Jack yeah. Trice is and and his story and why he's important. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, with all that being said, what happened Saturday night in Ames, Levi? How does Iowa State, if Iowa State wins, what went right? If Iowa State loses, what went wrong? Okay, so if Iowa State wins, what went right is the passing game was effective and they used the passing game to open up the running game. Uh, running back, you'll definitely you'll definitely see him on Saturday and one you'll want to remember, his name is Abu Sama. He's a true freshman out of Southeast Polk. Um, he is a, which is by De- Des Moines for anyone. Yeah, I was going to say, you better ge- clarify it's which, Iowa, which is, Iowa geography. It's right outside yeah. of Des Moines if anyone doesn't know their Iowa geography. Um, but, you know, he's a he's a really special talent. He's, he's young, but he's a special talent. Um, and he's a guy that if they can, we saw it last week, they used the passing game. They opened up a couple holes for him, and he busted off for a long run against Oklahoma. Um, if, I, if it went well, the defense has shored up. They're getting some pressure on Chandler Morris. Um, Malik Verdon is help, him being back is helping bottle up the running game, and then on offense, the passing game is working. They maybe maybe they can hit a couple deep balls, and that they're using that to open up a running game and to get more consistent movement down the field. Um, 
if it did, if they don't win, then it's because the offensive line is still really, really bad. And, and TCU's, even if TCU's defensive line isn't as where they would want it to be, and they're still getting pressure anyways. Um, and if the running game truly just cannot get anything going, no matter what the passing game is doing, um, or if Rocco throws a couple, if Rocco turns the ball over, uh, whatever it is, um, you know, that's, that's what's going to go wrong. If I would say loses on Saturday, this are feels you, like one. Are you, gonna, are you willing to put a prediction on this one? I'm going to put a predi- prediction on it. I, so this feels like a game where it's, I mean, it's going to be close for the whole thing. Um, I'm going to predict 27, 20 Iowa state because this feels like one of those games where I like, I would say might score to go up a touchdown in the fourth quarter. And then TCU is going to be kind of marching up the field and they throw it TJ Tampa one too many times. He picks it off, seals the game and it's totally fucking energy city and Jack Trice. And that just feels like that could be this Saturday. Like, I certainly would not be surprised to see that happen. Um, you know, I, I think it, winning in Ames is always tough. Um, TCU is obviously struggling a little bit right now. It was a pretty gut punch loss on Saturday against West Virginia. Iowa State can rally after that uh, just disheartening uh, loss to Oklahoma. But Jack, Tri- the, the stadium, the atmosphere in Ames is really going to carry the day, um, I fear. And I hope I'm wrong. Um where can people find your work, Levi, and all the cool stuff that you are doing? You crazy, out, like bad out of hell folks over at Wide Right Natty Light. Yeah, so it's WideRightNattyLight.com. Uh, on Twitter, it's WideRTNattyLT. We've got um, the Instagram page isn't getting updated as much as it was, but we might do that at some point. Otherwise, we've got our YouTube channel. We've got actually we're going to be starting here in about ten minutes. Uh, the nightcap on Wednesday nights, um, and uh, that's live on YouTube and. And it goes to Twitter as well um, and Facebook. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple podcasts each week. Um, we've, got, I don't know, we've got a lot of stuff now. I know we're, and we've got our Discord server. If you're not already in our Discord server, I highly recommend it. It is, we're over a thousand members now and it's a very active server. I highly recommend it. If you're into the forums or anything like that, you'll like Discord. It's just an in, in instant messaging version of an old school forum. That's all. And you will love Iowa State Twitter outside of Gate Week. You guys are a blast outside of game week for the most part. Um, I don't know if Usually. everyone agrees with me, but <laughs> there are I times enjoy when it. Iowa State Twitter wears on me a little bit. It can be a lot. Well, like a cultivated group of, I, I very much cultivate my opposing yeah, 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 yeah. You my can, you Iowa can, State Twitter can, is great. Yeah, you can you can cultivate your Iowa, your version of Iowa State yes. Twitter. I have, yeah. to, I have to choose my own adventure. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Levi, thank you so much for taking some time to jump on. We kept this under 40 minutes. I've got 90 seconds left in the Zoom. That is a miracle. Just for you. <laughs> just, I really appreciate it. And it's just because I need to eat. Um, for, And you've got to get Your to the night Your name is Andy Mitz, and this was a Kansas podcast. Oh, my God. For another hour. Oh, we'd, we'd have three. I'd have to upgrade to pro just to finish the podcast. Um, really appreciate it. Looking forward to um, what is certain to be uh, just an ulcer-inducing Saturday night. Um, it's going to be really cool. I'm glad that TCU gets to be a part of the Jack Trice celebration and honoring i'm also incredibly disappointed tcu is a part of the jack trice honoring (laughs) because i know what it's going to mean um for the football game but uh definitely will be tuned in i know tc fans will be watching with bated breath for the entire 60 minutes of football being played awesome thank you levi for your time thank you melissa for breaking down the game with him great preview right there um very much looking forward to this game tcu is a six and a half point favorite right now which that's the kind of getting back into what we were talking about. I'm just, I'm just not sure. Maybe, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, but while you're waiting and seeing, waiting for Saturday, go ahead and head over to homefieldapparel.com. 
Homefieldapparel.com, purveyor of the softest shirts and hoodies that I have ever experienced in my life. You guys know how much I love my Big Sky hoodie. I'm about to go throw it on because we're going to get a little bit of fall weather here in the state of Texas, and that thing is going to be stuck to my body. I'm going to be wearing it so much because I love it that much. Frogs in 15 will get you 15% off your first purchase at Homefield Apparel. That's Frogs IN15 to get 15% off your first purchase. The best thing about that code, though, is that you can use it again and again and again. And after that first purchase, it's going to get you 10% off every subsequent purchase that you make on the website. So it's a code that you can go back to time and time again for every time they re-release some TCU gear. Um, you can go and use that frogs and 15 code over at homefieldapparel.com and get yourself some really, really cool TCU gear. <clears throat> okay. We're going to do this section really quickly because we got some good mailbag questions that I want to give some time to today, but I want to tell you guys the three games that I am watching this week the first game it's going to sound a little crazy because it's not the red river shootout i won't be watching texas and oklahoma i might be watching texas and oklahoma but i don't know the game that i'm really interested though in the 11 o'clock time slot is two and three somehow still ranked lsu heading up to play five and oh Ranked below, uh, no, not ranked below them. Ranked Missouri. Missouri is ranked. They've beaten Memphis by seven points. They've beaten Kansas State on a record-setting field goal. They beat, uh, I believe it was Middle Tennessee State by like four points. And here they are, 21st in the country, hosting LSU. LSU's offense put up 48 in a loss. Defense isn't where it needs to be for them. But I think that their offense is potent enough to come away with the win. LSU's a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I don't know if they cover, but I think they come away with the win there. I'm very excited to watch that football game because I just don't know what LSU is in Brian Kelly's second year. And you guys want to talk – this is a tangent. You guys want to talk about TCU in year two. Let's talk about LSU in year two, right? They've had some setbacks and some setbacks as well, and they brought back quite a bit of talent on both sides of the football, including their quarterback from last year. And so – just because you have a certain level of success in year one, that doesn't guarantee you anything for year two. It's a different team. We're seeing that with LSU just as clearly as we're seeing that with TCU this year. Just something to consider as we move along. The next game. The next game that I am very much looking forward to here <clears throat> is um, Washington State traveling to UCLA. Because I think this is still the Washington State Revenge Tour. They are 4-0. They're ranked 13th in the country, and they're traveling to a 3-1 and UCLA, who somehow is still a 3.5-point favorite in this game. And I am so ready for Washington State to get the respect that they deserve on the football field because they have been nothing but awesome all year. Cam Ward has been phenomenal. They've been airing it out. It's been incredible to see. I love their head coach. And they've been in this like weird fight with Pat McAfee and ESPN as of late, where ESPN's just decided that they are going to dump all over Washington State. Pat McAfee's yelling about why they have their flag at game day and all this other stupid crap. Like, they've had their flag at every single game day since 2003, and that's badass. They didn't have a, a game day show up in Pullman until 2018. 15 years of making sure that their flag was that every single game day is like the most college football thing I've ever heard. It's so cool. And now Pat McAfee, who's like some weird, 
loud, argumentative guy who doesn't really have great sports, uh, at least doesn't really have great college football takes in my opinion, but he's out there and he's just yelling on stage. It feels like a completely different game day to me. Um, Stephen Godfrey did a phenomenal job writing about this situation over at Washington Post. I retweeted that article on, on uh, what was it, Wednesday. Um, go and read it. It's awesome. I think there's a link that you can sign up to give him specifically credit for having written the article. Um, puts it into really good perspective. Uh, just kind of talking about the whole, hey, ESPN employees are kind of shitting on Washington State and calling that, you know, they called the the Oregon State-Washington State game the no one cares bowl or the no one's going to watch bowl or whatever, or no one wants them bowl, one of, the, one of those things. Um, it's, it's almost like watching ESPN largely be responsible for breaking up the Pac-12 and then pointing and laughing at the remnants of the Pac-12 and starting fights with their fan base. It just, it's a little ridiculous to me. Anyways, I'll be watching Washington State beat the pants out of out of UCLA. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to put it on them. I have a feeling. Uh, and I will be very happy when that does happen. The third game that I'm looking forward to mostly because I think I know how it's going to go, but I really, really hope, uh, it's just as chaotic and horrible as possible is the butt bowl. We got Baylor two and three hosting Texas tech at two and three. Both of these schools only have one FBS win apiece, and now they have to play football against each other, which means someone at some point is going to get their second FBS win of the season. Uh, I'm very excited to see how this game goes because TCU still plays both of these teams. A week ago, you would have, you could have told me that both of these were going to be wins on TCU's future schedule, but after this past Saturday, where Baylor has this huge comeback against Central Florida in the fourth quarter and Texas Tech kind of blows the doors off of Houston, while TCU's losing to West Virginia, has me questioning a lot of my reality. Uh, so I want to see which of those two teams can can come out and look as good as they did at points in their previous game. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the Butt Bowl and all of the chaos that will undoubtedly come with that. So those are the three games that I'm watching this week. Tech's favored by a point and a half, even though the game is in Waco. All right, here we go. It is mailbag time. Let's do a time check. All right, we got to speed this thing up. Here we go. Hyperfrog. With these four-star guys that are getting recruited everywhere, how much does NIL money factor into their decision of where to go? Is it 90%, 50%, 10%? Would be anxious to know if at this point the only thing that matters is money. I think it depends on the kid. Uh, just like with everything else, right? Like some kids like the academic side of a school. Some kids really love the coaches. Some kids love the fact that they play in a 100,000 person stadium. Some people will make NIL based decisions for their future. Um, I don't know that I have a, a necessary, uh, necessarily have a, a percentage of, of who chooses where for why. Um, I do think that we have some pretty clear examples of kids taking NIL offers uh, and making that the main reason that they go to a school, Jaden Rashada and his $13 million commitment to Florida is a pretty good one, but we also know how that one ended. Um, and so I think it, it's always going to just vary by kid. And, but it's also, I think a little naive to assume that some kids just won't be in it for the money. Um, you never know how long your professional or your, your athletic career is going to last. And, 
to forego some financial stability or some some income um, maybe isn't going to be the wisest decision for a lot of kids. And a lot of kids will go into college with the full understanding that, hey, this is probably going to be the last three or four years that I played this sport. So I'm going to do what I can to make the most money that I possibly can in these next three or four years. And I don't fault a kid for that at all. Mickey DeSlick. Of course, share only what you can, but what's the sentiment inside the team? There's been a lot of conjecture on the board about team energy and chemistry. Obviously, I know the guys don't like to lose, but what's their mentality with a lot of the team's goals still ahead of them? I think that last part's the the most important part. A lot of the team's goals are still ahead of them. They're one and one in conference right now, right? Three and two obviously isn't where they wanted to be. There's a very real scenario where they're five and zero, oh, and we're talking about a top ten ranked TCU team right now. Even at the rate that they have been playing, which is says a lot about the state of college football this year, um, I don't think that they're uh, look. And yes, uh, message boards are going to always focus on stuff, especially in losses. There is. I don't think, from what I've been told, or the sense that I get when I talk to people around the program, there is not this like heightened level of strain or tension or anything that's anything more than when a team has just lost a couple games they probably shouldn't have lost, and they're kind of down on themselves, and they're kind of saying, hey, we got to figure this crap out, right? Like, There's always going to be a little bit of that in a loss. I don't think that there's anything extra. I really truly don't. And so that's kind of that's that's my that's my thought there. Horn Frog 111. Is your over under for a realignment announcement still set for the end of October? Do you still feel that TCU is in really good shape? I I mean I will feel that TCU is in really good shape because TCU is in really good shape. That has nothing to do with anything else that's maybe on the horizon here. TCU is in really good shape. And when I say TCU is in really good shape, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to leave the Big 12, right? Like I all of the speculation out there about where teams could go or who they've been talking to or what's going to happen next or when is this Board of Regents meeting going to happen and all of that, nobody really knows. And I've said that on the board too. Nobody really knows. We know that we know two things about college football realignment. A lot of people are talking to a lot of people. We don't know how serious those conversations are. We just know that a lot of people are talking to a lot of people. And leaks are... Most of the time, if not the majority of the time, uh, intentional, right? And so all the stuff that happened around Clemson, we knew that there were some conversations happening. You knew that I reported on the board some of those conversations were happening outside of uh, of TCU-centric realignment land, right? Um, other people were saying some similar things. Now it's quieted down. This is kind of how we've seen this play out time and time again over the last few years. There's a little bit of bubbling up. Oh, we better back it back down. We better turn it back down. Do I know if something's going to happen by the end of October? No, I have no idea. Was I more confident that something might happen sooner rather than later three weeks ago? Yeah, I was. But that's the shifting and changing landscape. Uh, that's the nature of, of this kind of this kind of thing at this point. TCU Ball 3. TCU football over the past 11 years has been boom or bust. In the transfer portal NIL era, what steps should Coach Dykes and staff take to become a more consistent winner? Is it even possible at TCU or should we be resigned to boom and bust type seasons? 
correct me if I'm wrong, but TCU has the seventh highest winning percentage in college football since 2000. That doesn't feel very boomer bust to me. Um, they have, I think, 11, 11 win seasons or better. 11, 10 win seasons in the last 20 years. Last 25 years. That doesn't feel very boomer bust to me. They had only missed a bowl game three times in Gary Patterson's tenure until the final year. That doesn't feel very boomer bust to me. Two losses in a season isn't boomer bust, right? Um, maybe we have different uh, definitions for boom, but I, I think TCU has been a pretty consistent winner over the last 23 years. Um, so no, I don't think we should be resigned to boomer bust type seasons. What steps should Coach Dykes and staff take to become a consistent winner? Um, I think there's another question about Portal later on, uh, but I'm not seeing it now, so I'm just going to say this here for this question. Um, I think that with some of the changes that the NCAA just made to scholarships and the Portal versus what we know kind of about high school recruiting, especially in the state of Texas, I think that there has to be a, a an intentionality around recruiting really good high school players who you can develop and filling gaps with the portal. I don't think that you can forego either of those things. We've seen what happens if a team does, right? Clemson is sitting at three and two right now, and based on the kind of baseline ex- ex- expectation for Clemson football, they're, they're fading, right? They're, they're on the downslope a little bit. And I, I truly believe that part of that is because of Dabo Swinney's insistence that they don't use the transfer portal. He's fully and wholly against the transfer portal. He's pretty much against NIL as well, although I think he's given a little bit of, of, of ground there. And it's just, it's going to set you back. It's going to set you back in this day and age to not be intentional, but also to not be active in the transfer portal. On the other side of things, there's a reason Jake Spavital is not the head coach at Texas State anymore. And it's because he decided to swing in the other direction and completely forego high school recruiting in favor of the portal. And that has its own set of problems, right? Because then you don't have any kind of development pipeline for kids that are going to come through your school and develop over the course of four years, which is wildly possible to do at Texas state because of the, the richness of recruiting in the state of Texas. There should never be a D one program in the state of Texas that foregoes recruiting in the state out of high school. There's so much talent and depth in this state that it was baffling, not only to me, but to everybody who follows recruiting high school coaches in the state, other people who are in those circles as to why Texas State took the approach that they did. G.J. Kinney is reversing course on that quite a bit. He still brought in a really good transfer class as well in year one. Um, <clears throat> but but you can't swing too far in either direction is what I'm saying. You got to have a balance and you have to be committed to developing kids and being intentional about who you bring in in the portal because you can't just go out and get 30 guys in the portal and expect everything to be okay. Right, you just can't do that. It's not. It's not a. It's not a recipe for success. It just isn't. 
Um, let's see here. Subterraneans. Why is recruiting dead AF and how did we blow the national championship game appearance momentum this quickly? Um, well, I think that it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. Um, I think that they have some guys that they really, really love in this recruiting class, right? And they've got some highly rated guys in this recruiting class. They have some lower rated guys that they evaluated and really like long-term. That's where that idea of development comes in, right? You don't have to have a freshman class that all come out and start right away. You have to have good depth. You have to have guys that you can grow up and develop. And some of those kids are going to be projects. I think the other side of that, and this was, I, in my opinion, opinion, kind of what TCU was doing with the 2024 class before the NCAA just ripped the cap off of things, I think they were going to be very intentional about addressing some needs in the transfer portal. And they're still going to do that, right? Um, and so there was this kind of maybe scholarship limitation navigation thing happening that obviously is no longer an issue. So I don't know. We still got two months, two and a half months until the signing early signing period. Let's just see what happens, right? Let's just see what happens between now and then. They've got some, they've got some irons in the fire. I don't think recruiting is as dead as you guys think it is. Just because there isn't a bunch of noise around it doesn't necessarily mean that it's died out altogether. Frog Frog, question one. Is Chandler dinged up? If no, then what else explains the 180 and escapability and running threat we saw in half one and half two Saturday? Might also explain why the throws reverted to prior inaccuracy. I have not heard anything about Chandler Morris being hurt. I have not heard anything about him being dinged up. I'm sure he's got some bumps and bruises. Most people do this time of season. Um, I really think that the offensive line play got in his head. And I can't blame him. That was pretty bad offensive line play on Saturday. And we're going to get into some running back stuff as well. Um, I pulled some running back blocking numbers. They weren't good against West Virginia. They simply were not. Um, And so, yeah, when you think you're going to get hit, your clock speeds up and maybe you rush things a little bit too much. And I think that more than anything else explains what happened in the second half on Saturday. That being said, he's got to be better, right? The offensive line's got to be better. Chandler's got to be better. The receivers have to be better. The whole process has to be better on that side of the football. You can't just gain one yard in the third quarter and, and brush it off and say, well, we'll get them next time. You got You got to go back to the drawing board a little bit there. And I think they have this week. Question two from Frog Frog. Five games in, can you name the true freshman you expect or project will keep getting into the game logs versus those that will now sit and keep their red shirt? I noticed some that did not play in game five. That's a good question. Um, I'll be interested to see if Jamel Johnson keeps getting snaps. I'll be interested to see if Marcus Deal keeps getting snaps. I think Deal's a guy that they're probably going to plan on redshirting this this year um, with as many snaps as we're seeing Sony Misi get at this point. Trying to think who else. Trying to think who else. Uh, I guess the big question is Cordell Russell, right? Uh, I mean, when you've got Warren Thompson and Dalen Dalen Wright playing that same position, uh, it's going to be hard to find meaningful snaps for a freshman. Um, that's going to be the one to watch, I guess, because I think the this is not something that I've talked to people about. This is just my kind of guesstimation based on what I've seen. I think the hope would be that they would just redshirt him now and not burn a year of his eligibility, knowing that he's third on the depth chart behind two pretty talented guys. 
Um, two guys who know the playbook a little bit better at this point. Um, that's that's definitely the key one to watch. As far as anybody else, I think Ben Taylor Whitfield's probably worked his way into the rotation, so we're going to see him the rest of the year, especially if Brandon Coleman continues to be banged up. So that's a freshman that's going to continue to play. Um, uh, that those are the ones that come to mind. Those are the ones that come to mind for me right now. Frogs, frogs, frogs. Not to be confused with frog, frog. Says pick one. TCU beats Oklahoma and UT, but loses to Baylor Tech and Kansas State. Or TCU loses to OU and UT, but beats Baylor Tech and Kansas State. Let's assume <clears throat> Frogs beat Iowa State and BYU. Uh, I don't think we should assume that, but for the sake of this project, um, yeah, give me beating Oklahoma and Texas on their way out of the conference. I guess, right? <clears throat> that would be the one that I would pick. I suppose. What's more likely? TCU wins their remaining seven games, or Texas beats Oklahoma again, forty-nine to nothing. Are you saying TCU winning out or Texas beating OU 49 to nothing? I would say that Texas beating OU 49 to nothing is probably the more likely of those two things. AGTHT asks, if we hold Iowa State to their current season average of 20 points, do we win this game? Yes. Is it 21 to 20? Maybe. Is it 35 to 20? Probably not. But I think if you hold Iowa State to 20, you're in pretty dang good shape. I don't think it'll be that hard to hold him to 20. I wouldn't be shocked if they held him to like 17. The Voyager 11. Does NIL influence coaches' decisions to play certain players? Is the leeway the coaches have allowed for certain players as a result of unconscious bias stemming from NIL, or is that conjecture? Man, that is a good question. I would be, and this is not a TCU-specific answer. I want to clarify that. I would be shocked if you polled every coach anonymously in the country and they all came back and said that NIL did not influence who they played, right? I, I, you, you're always recruiting your own team, and one of the best ways you can recruit players on your own team is by playing them and by paying them. Um, but, you know, NFL head coaches have to deal with it too. NBA coaches, MLB coaches, all of these coaches at the professional level also have to deal with this same thing. You got a big contract guy. Look at the Chargers, for instance. They just traded a cornerback back to the Patriots who they had signed to a deal last year. Randy Gregory, making $70 million over the life of a contract that he signed last offseason. Just got cut by the Denver Broncos, right? Money isn't everything, even at the professional level. And I think that ultimately, wanting to win will outweigh who you play as a head coach. But I think it, I think it would be unreasonable to suggest that NIL never plays a factor in who's seeing who's seeing play in time. Question two from the Voyager Eleven: Coach Jones said recently on the Sunday Dyke Show that he thought Trent Battle is an NFL caliber back. If that's the case, why aren't we seeing more of him behind Imani? Is his blocking really that bad? Where are my numbers? I don't have them in front of me. I'm going to go back to PFF really quick. The short answer is yes. The short answer is yes. And that's not just a Trent Battle problem at this point. That's an entire running backs problem because TCU over the last two weeks has had some of the absolute worst running back blocking I think I've ever seen in my adult life. It has been brutally bad. You know, Imani Bailey through three games was excellent as a pass blocker. Absolutely incredible. He did a phenomenal job of pass blocking. We're going to pull this up here, which is going to change how I look on screen. If you're watching on YouTube, I apologize. I'm very bright and shiny now. 
Let's do this. Imani Bailey. Let's go to his. Oh, wait. I'm in the wrong tab. I'm in the NFL tab. Give me Imani Bailey. Here he is. <clears throat> Let's go to blocking. Pass blocking grades. Colorado 67.9. Nichols 71.5. Houston 76.1. SMU 9. West Virginia 42.3. His pass blocking grade for the entire year based on number of opportunities to pass block is 39.5. Let's go to Trey Sanders. Trey Sanders against Colorado, 75.4. Pretty good. Against Nichols, 24.1. He had no pass blocking grade against Houston. His pass blocking grade against SMU was a 15.8. His pass blocking grade against West Virginia was a zero. His pass blocking grade for the season, 12.4. This is out of 100, by the way, folks. Out of 100. Now let's go to Trent Battle. Against Colorado, 70. Against Nichols, 72.6. Against Houston, 21.1. Also not great. No opportunities against SMU or West Virginia. His pass blocking grade for the year is 35.4. Now it's a small sample size. But Cam Cook, he had a pass blocking grade of 70 against West Virginia. Not too bad. Pretty good grade. Um, the thing is, is that all of these running backs have to block better. And until someone steps up and blocks better, and I've been saying this all season, right? Until someone decides that they're just going to be Amari Di Mercado and that that's going to be the thing that they do really, really well. Amani Bailey is going to continue to be the feature back on this team because he has proven himself to be the best runner and the best pass catcher of the bunch. If someone wants to step up and be the dude, who they can trust on third down to block for Chandler Morris, especially when the offensive line is breaking down as frequently as it has been, that dude's going to get the second snaps. That dude's going to get RB2 snaps. It's just that simple. Someone has to step up and do it consistently. None of them have. None of them have. And uh, I agree with Coach Jones, by the way. I think Trent Battle... I've t- you guys know how much stock I own in Trent Battle at this point. I am not selling that crap. I... Love the kid. I think he's got all the potential in the world. You gotta block people. You gotta block people. It's so critically important for running backs these days. Look, there's this whole national narrative about the value of running backs right now. And if you're a running back in college, if you're a running back in high school, I I would be doing everything I could possibly do to prove my worth in other ways than just tucking the ball and running it between the tackles. Because that's what's going to change this running back value narrative is when they step up better in the passing game consistently. And when you block and protect the guy who's throwing the ball, that's how you change the narrative around running backs. It's by pass blocking. Someone's got to step up for TCU and do it better than what has been done, especially in the last two games. It's been pretty tough. It's been pretty tough. But hey, Cam Cook looked pretty good running the ball. And if he's going to block well, anything can happen. WL Royal. Rate the Big 12 home field advantages. I feel like TCU has to be bottom half of that list. Aside from Texas and OU games, I feel like we rarely ever have full stadiums with loud fans that actually make it a difficult place for an opponent to play. Also, for as long as I can remember, referees kill us at home. Thoughts? 
TCU's had pretty good attendance this year. I was impressed by TCU at Colorado against Colorado and SMU. Those were the two most attended games in TCU's in Amogee Carter history. I think TCU fans have done a, a really good job of showing up this year. West Virginia was a little bit of an oddity. I don't know if a lot of people had stuff going on that night or what it was. Um, it did feel a little flat, but I think TCU fans have shown out a tremendous amount this year for, for the home team. Um, uh, I think that Iowa State fans always go ballistic for their, their team. I've heard Cincinnati is a fantastic place to go attend a football game. BYU is the same. Um, you know, you talk about schools coming in. Utah's another really, really tough place to play. I went up there for the Ross Evans game. That was, that was my, uh, I was still an undergrad at that point, for those of you that are old enough to remember Ross Evans. Um, that stadium was electric. That was one of the most fun college atmospheres I've ever been a part of. Very excited for them to be part of the conference again as well. Central Florida shows out. You know, I think there are a lot of really, really good atmospheres in the Big 12. And I think on a good day, TCU's got one of the better ones. I, I truly do. Oh, Texas Tech looked fire against Oklahoma in the stands, not on the field. Uh, as long as I can remember, referees kill us at home. Yeah, officiating's just rough, man. And I have this kind of working theory about why that kind of is and why it's getting worse. Um, and I think it's just because of the general abuse that refs face in every sport. Why do you want to pursue that profession? I think we're we're chasing off folks who could be really good referees just by making them absolutely completely miserable all the time one ref that does need to get ch chased off those is angel hernandez because that guy oof, worst umpire in baseball all right 2017 frog says do we win more than two games to end the year i.e from now until the end and if so which ones yes i think they win on saturday night against iowa state i think they beat baylor and fort worth i think they go to texas tech and win at lubbock byu is going to be a coin flip for me right now Right, this isn't a sky is falling situation just because you've lost a couple games and the team has taken a step back from last year. We got to take some deep breaths, y'all. We got to take some deep breaths. Uh, also, if we lose either of our next two, how alarmed should we be? I think that we should really have realistic conversations about what the what you know what this year's iteration of TCU football will be. Will it be a bowl team? Will it be will it be you know a five and seven team? I, I BYU is pretty good. They went to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas. Whatever, whatever you think of Arkansas, you know they went to Cincinnati and beat Cincinnati by fourteen points or something like that, seven points, eight points, somewhere around there. They're a good team on, and they're a good team on the road. TCU gets them in two weeks, uh, two thirty in the afternoon, for homecoming. By the way, um, <clears throat> we'll see. I don't know that this is a, a five fire alarm or anything like that. If TCU loses one of the next two. I think that it's. I'll have to reevaluate how I evaluate this team during the offseason, that's for sure, because I was pretty high on this thing. Um, but uh, I don't know that this is a sound the alarms kind of situation. How is it even possible to have one yard of offense in a 15-minute quarter, brother TRF 51? I do not know. I do not know. All I can say is that this was the perfect weekend for me to go to a fall wedding. Perfect one. Go to fall weddings, by the way. My two cents there. TRF51 also asks, how big is it for Bryles to show us something going forward? Look, I think there are opportunities for Kendall Bryles to grow as an offensive coordinator. Um, I think Sonny has named some of those in the last week or so during his press stuff. Uh, 
I, I like a lot of what I see in theory from Kendall Brown's offense. I really, truly do. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, and I think I called it out on Twitter a couple weeks ago, the play design on, uh, against SMU in the first quarter on a pass that if it had been accurate, was a Trent battle touchdown is some of the coolest stuff I've seen on offense in a while. Like the design was just really done well. Right. And we've seen a lot of that kind of stuff from his offense this year, a lot of really nice play designs. I think that sometimes the play calling can be better. I think that sometimes it's okay to slow down. I don't think that you always have to go at the fastest tempo possible, although I understand how that strains a defense and how that keeps a defense from subbing. I think sometimes it's better to have all of your ducks in a row than to try and keep the other team off balance. Um, I think in those situations, talent will bear out. And I think that from a talent perspective, TCU is still in pretty good shape. Um, but yeah, I, 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 yes, I think it's big for every assistant on this staff and it's big for Sonny Dykes to show us stuff going forward, right? Like this isn't a pressure free job, right? This isn't a job that you just have forever, right? It's not a, it's not a seat on the Supreme court. So they've got to consistently show people stuff, right? They've got to consistently show that they can put a winner together that the pressure's not any greater because they're three and two right now. Similar to uh, what I was saying earlier, like the about the tension in the team and all that kind of stuff. Losing sucks and people don't like it, but it's not like they're going to lose twice and fully freak out and light the building on fire either. Do they have some things to clean up? Yes. Do I think that they will get it cleaned up? Also, yes. TRF also says, I know Sonny is a CEO type leader who hires people and lets them do their job, but what happens when the guy he hired is failing to produce, how long will it take for Sonny to take over the play calling? He's not going to take over the play calling this year. Unless something incredibly dramatic happens in the last seven games, Sonny Dykes is not going to take over play calling. Like I said earlier when we were talking about Echol rate, this team has strung together good drives pretty consistently. They've got to find a way to get better at producing points from those drives. But the the bones are there. they got to get better in a couple places. But this isn't... A, 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 fa- a failure is a strong word at this point in time, a very strong word. I think that there are ways to improve. That that much is very clear. Sonny Dykes has said as much. Um, but failing to produce is a little too harsh, I think, at this point in time. Uh, and then TRF, oh, he keeps going. Can you talk? Can you talk to the damage that has been done to the perception of our program and its brand? Take away the CU game. The viewership has not been great. It seems like we are dropping the bag literally when we were in position to explode in growth. I, I, I still don't think that there's been this like dramatic program damaging thing that's happened. They lost two games, right? Clemson's lost two games this year. A lot of teams have lost two games this year. Uh, Clemson got the break speed off of them on national TV when they were the only game going. You think that was something that damaged their their reputation or their product? No, people bashed on them a little bit for it. People bashed on TCU for losing to Colorado a little bit. But I don't think this was... this. There has been no great offense done to the TCU football program because they've lost two games by three points each. It just hasn't. Have they been as good as they were last year? No. Has the luck been bouncing in their favor as much as it did last year? Also, no. Right? There was a little luck involved. And, and I'm going to get smoked for saying this. There was a little luck involved in TCU's undefeated regular season last year. There had to be. 
to be able to come back like that against Baylor in the final seconds, everything has to be flawless. You have to be able to, you know, you you want to talk about that final third down that Baylor had with the ball and the decision that Blake Shapin made in that moment? Is that not a little bit of a lucky break for TCU? Absolutely it is. Is it not a little bit of a lucky break for TCU to get two pick sixes against Michigan? Absolutely it is. It was also a little bit of a bad break on the play calling at the goal line in the Big 12 championship, right? There's there's a lot that, that, that these coaches can control, and there's a lot that they can't. And we're starting to see a little bit of that luck kind of revert to the mean this year. And it's it's not fun, but it's also the reality. I mean, you look at what happened the year Baylor won the conference and then the year the year later, right? These things swing from game to game, from season to season. There has there there has not been any kind of significant damage done to TCU's program or the brand or anything like that. There just hasn't been. As much as some folks almost seemingly want it to be that way, it it has not that that is simply not the truth or the reality of the situation. TC Wags, what's up, man? With all of your technology and football knowledge, do you think AI has a role to play in developing a game plan? Maybe have a little robot over on the sidelines in front of a big green poster signaling in plays. Okay, the first part of this question, I think the answer is that it's already happening. You talk about uh, Jeff, um, Jeff Jordan, TCU's analytics guy, and the big binder that he follows Sonny Dykes with around on the sideline. All of that is data that has been culled by uh, this company that does algorithms to say, hey, in these situations, this is the decision you should make or can make or need to make. All of that is similar kind of data processing to what AI does. It's just not happening in real time in the moment. There are programs that you can use on an iPad to punch in what's happening in-game in real time, and it will spit out for you real odds about the decisions that you should make in fourth and one in a certain situation, third and two in a certain situation, right? Field goal or punt or go for it or whatever. There's, there is a system already out there that will do that for you. And so AI kind of already has a role in developing a game plan from that standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint. I don't know that we're ever going to have robot play callers, but I think it would be hilarious, and I think a really rich program in Dallas could afford to try it because, hey, they're not winning football games anyways, right? So you might as well. J.C. Watner, is 2023's team an inverse of last year's team? We're 3-2, and 0-2 oh in one-score one games. Are we the same level talent-wise but just unclutch? This is kind of what I was going back to earlier about the luck stuff, about the bounces kind of hitting in your favor, right? This team is a, is a good team, right? They're good quality talented players on this team. Uh, and I think Sonny Dykes nailed it in his midweek press conference this week when he said, last year, TCU had some playmakers who could cover up some mistakes, right? There were moments where Max Duggan covered up a broken uh, blocking scheme. There were moments where Kendra Miller covered up some mistakes on offense or Quentin Johnston covered up some mistakes or D. Winners and Dylan Horton covered up some mistakes defensively for this team. Trey Hodges Tomlinson also big factor there. Um, and I just don't know that the guys behind them have grown into those roles yet, right? And that's reasonable. <laughs> that's uh, you're not just going to have a Heisman finalist every single year, unless you're, uh, you know, Ohio State or a Lincoln Riley quarterback or something. But um, 
you know, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that this team is talented, but they don't have some guys that can kind of cover up some of the mistakes quite yet. That's kind of where I think we're, we're landing right now. And then the final question from ZJ High Roller. Is this, offensive, is this offense limited by A, Chandler Morris's deep ball ability, B, inconsistent OL play, C, carousel approach to wide receiver lineup, or D, lack of leadership, quote, he got that frog in him, end quote, attitude. Uh, I would say line play and the carousel at wide receiver are probably the two biggest ones at this point. I think outside of a couple moments in the second half on Saturday and a little bit against Colorado, Chandler Morris has been pretty good all year, right? I, I, I mean, he's pressured the second most of any quarterback in, in the Big 12, and he's still completing passes at a pretty high rate. He's running the ball well right now. He still can do some better things as far as decision-making goes, but I think a lot of his quick decisions are influenced by uh, an expectation of having not enough time to get through your reads, and that's the offensive line. The offensive line has struggled quite a bit at times this year. It just looked good at other times, too. If there's some more consistency there, I think the offense takes a big step forward. And same thing goes for wide receivers. We're still waiting for a couple, a couple guys to, to step up. And, you know, I don't know who it's going to be at this point, but it needs to be somebody, and it needs to be somebody quick. It needs to be somebody quick. I don't think TCU needs to keep completing passes to 10 or 11 or 12 guys every single game. Five is fine. Six is fine. Spread out your targets between the guys who you know are going to be where they need to be on time within the play, who are going to catch the football, um, and who are going to do the other things that you need from your receivers too, like block on the edges when a running back's coming their way. So that that's kind of where I am right now, B and C. Thank you all for your questions. Those were awesome. Uh, appreciate everybody who took the time to comment on that thread in Hornfrog Blitz in the message boards. If you're not a member over at HFB, I can't stress enough how much you should sign up and get into the conversation over there. We're doing some really cool stuff. Jeremy obviously is the number one leader when it comes to covering TCU football recruiting. I've got some stuff in there about hoops and baseball coming up. Baseball started practice this week. I think I mentioned that earlier. Uh, we're going to dive into this roster. We're going to have some conversations with Kirk Sarlos coming up as well. It's going to be awesome. All the content you could possibly hope for, for hoops, for baseball, for football. We run the gamut. I saw someone starting a women's soccer thread the other day. There's been conversations about TCU women's volleyball, right? Like TCU athletics at, is at a high point right now. And if you want to talk about it, get over to Horn Frog Blitz. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you to all of our listeners. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the like on this video if you're watching on YouTube. Thank you again to Levi for previewing Iowa State with Melissa, and thank you to Melissa as well for getting all of that taken care of. We'll be back on Monday morning with our recap of TCU and Iowa State, but until then, we'll talk to you next time, and go Frogs.